Thank you so much, Pastor. God bless you tonight. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament prophet and the book of Habakkuk. I'd like to read tonight from Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse number 1. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse number 1. That is, of course, unless Berean Baptist Church is a Habakkuk church. So, Brother Reno, is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? How do y'all do this here? All right, that's good. I don't have to worry about it. Habakkuk chapter 1 tonight, I'd like to begin reading in verse 1. What a great day to be in God's house. And thank you so much for the special music and music exalting and honoring our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And uh, what a song we have to sing. And I appreciate so much the labor and the effort, the choir and the special music. It's certainly a, 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 a labor of love for Christ and what a difference it makes. You have your Bible tonight to the book of Habakkuk chapter number 1 and I'd like to begin in verse 1. Might I invite you if you're physically able to stand together with me as we go to God's words tonight. The Bible says the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Father, we come to you tonight and ask for your help from the mighty word of God. And, and I pray you'd help us, as the preacher said tonight, just to put away all the burdens and, and the distractions and the things that keep us from centering on you and on the word of God. And, and Lord, there is a famine in our land, and it's not of water or bread, but a famine of the hearing of the word of God. So may tonight our ears be ready to hear, then our hearts be ready to respond, and choices be ready to be made. If someone in this place has never been saved, I pray that tonight they would respond to the great invitation of the Bible and they would be born into your family. So help us now in the great name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Habakkuk grows up in the city of Jerusalem and it is the golden age of revival. When Habakkuk was maybe a young man, maybe even a smaller boy, a king ascended to the throne, an eight-year-old fellow by the name of Josiah. You know, there's one of those stories, and there's not a lot of these in the Bible, but there's one of those unsung heroes. There's a story that we don't know about, but when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that there was somebody who invested their life in an eight-year-old boy named Josiah. It certainly wasn't his father. He was assassinated after two years. It certainly wasn't his grandfather. Manasseh was probably the most wicked of all the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And yet from 8 to 16, there's somebody somewhere who poured their life into a little fella by the name of Josiah. And why what he didn't get from dad or granddaddy, he got from God. And at the age of 16, he said, enough is enough. Out comes the broom and it leads to one of the greatest revivals, arguably the greatest revival that has ever taken place. The broom comes out and it starts with Josiah cleaning up the land from its paganism and its idols. It seems like every hill on the top of it they had built a shrine of some pagan god. Why everywhere you would look people carved out their little idols and images. If that weren't enough in the factories they would pour molten in images. Great huge statues and great huge idols. There were houses of religion and pagan places of worship and the Bible tells us that Josiah destroyed them all. What a house cleaning he does to get rid of the pagan religion. But you know that wasn't enough. Now he turns his attention to the house of God, the temple, the very same place where his grandfather actually built an altar to a pagan god. And now out comes the broom one more time and this time they clean up the house of God and then, then you read some of the great words of 
the Old Testament. A fellow by the name of Hilkiah is cleaning up the house of God, the priest of God now, and then he comes across a discovery for the ages. That's another story waiting from heaven. Where did he find it? You know, he may have been working in a closet, maybe in some box in some dusty closet. The Jewish tradition is that it was out back under a pile of rocks. But wherever he found it, well, for the first time in decades, he found the book of the law of God. What a moment that was. And you see righteous Hilkiah go to Shapham, the secretary of state, and say, we have found the book of the law of God. Pretty soon they bring it into the presence of King Josiah. Josiah hears the Bible for the first time in ages and it's not just Josiah he calls for the nation to gather in the streets of Jerusalem and why the word of God is read to the entire land it is a real revival now I know in America we hear stories of revival and quite frankly I don't believe most of them and I don't because it's not the kind of revival that you read about in the Bible. Oh, it's a revival where everybody started singing. Or it might be a revival where everybody starts barking like dogs. Or maybe a revival where people start laughing out loud. But you know, that's very different from a revival of the Word of God. I have discovered that some of the so-called great stories of revival, what is absent from them is the Bible and the preaching of the Bible. So whatever religious experiences people may have when they shake and they quake and they holler and they scream that's not what I'm looking for I am looking for an old-fashioned revival of a love for the Word of God and that's what makes the revival of Josiah so real and a little fellow by the name of Habakkuk has a front row seat to the whole thing you know I can imagine Habakkuk as a teenager getting ready to go to camp hey who's preaching at camp this year well oh man on Monday night the old timer's gonna be preaching Maybe now, I'm guessing at some of this, but the old timer brother Nahum is going to preach. And brother, when Nahum started preaching on the vengeance of God, everybody started shaking. That's just the warm-up to Tuesday night because when Habakkuk goes to camp on Tuesday night, it just might be the prophet Zephaniah preaching. Brother, there is hard preaching and then there's Zephaniah. And when Zephaniah cuts loose, I mean there are no prisoners taken. That man preaches thunderous messages about the wrath of God, about convictions and holiness, about standards and people doing right. On Wednesday night, bring your handkerchief. The weeping prophet Jeremiah's got Wednesday. Thursday night, there's a newcomer who's going to be preaching, a guy by the name of Ezekiel. I got to tell you, that's the kind of preaching that he must have grown up under. I mean, with his own eyes, he sees arguably the greatest revival ever. And then with his own ears, he gets to hear some of the mightiest men of God. It is a golden age of revival. It is the golden age of preaching. And a little guy named Habakkuk got a front row seat to the whole thing. So now we come to Habakkuk chapter 1 and, and you know maybe when Ezekiel preached Habakkuk came forward and, and threw his life on the altar and said Lord I'll go where you want. I will live where you want. I will do what you'd have me do. Uh, and now it is time for Habakkuk to do what God would have him do. Uh, I'm afraid that Israel's taken a left turn. I'm afraid the city of Jerusalem has gone long compromised from where they were under Josiah. Josiah cleaned up the idols but now they are back. Josiah cleaned up the house of God, but now the dirt was back. And why all the revival and all the preaching and all the good days, they had been replaced by some horrific sin. 
and the clock was ready to strike midnight and the preacher that God chose to stand in the streets of Jerusalem and to preach their last chance was this man of God right here, Habakkuk. One reason I love this part of the Bible so much is, well, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse number 1. You know, when you get to the last part of the Old Testament, it is the preaching section of the Bible. I mean, every portion of the Bible has their purpose. And, and while they're certainly preaching in other places in the Bible, once you get to Isaiah through Malachi, it is virtually all preaching. These are the prophets of God with a message burning in their heart. These are the men of God with something to declare. There's an urgency for every single one of them. Well, for Habakkuk, he is looking at the streets of Jerusalem. He is looking at a city that is about ready to experience the wrath of God. They don't know it, but that clock is ready to strike midnight and God has raised up this man for one last chance. I love this part of the Bible because in verse number one, everything we'll learn about Habakkuk you find in one verse. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. That's his story. That's all we know about Habakkuk. You know, when you come to this part of the Bible, unless it is the story, say, of Jonah or maybe the story of Hosea, why, usually all you get is one verse, sometimes two. Uh, you might hear who their daddy is. One time you might learn who his mother is. You might learn the age in which he preaches, and, and you might know who the king was, but after that you don't have anything else. I mean, you come to Habakkuk, and, and as stunning as it might seem, you know, we don't even know what Bible college he attended. We don't even know what fellowship he was a part of. All the Bible tells us is that Habakkuk is a man with a burden. I mean, it is not just a word now, and it is not just a message now, but Habakkuk's got something that's weighing his heart down. It is the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Normally, the, the verse begins, the word of the Lord that came to Amos, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea or Joel. Most of the times, the story of the Old Testament prophets is the story of God delivering his words. The man of God hears the words of God. He writes them down and then preaches them. But there are a few occasions where the wheels are coming off, where the hour is so late and times are so desperate and one of them is the book of Habakkuk. And God said, in effect, Habakkuk, I am not only going to give you my words for you to hear, but I am going to give you a vision to see. So it is one of those rare moments as you read with Isaiah and you'll read in part of the book of Amos where God is going to peel back the skies. And Habakkuk, you are not only going to be an ear witness to my words, but you are going to be an eyewitness to the message I want you to hear and declare. And so the prophet Habakkuk's got a weighed down heart. The prophet Habakkuk's got a message burning in his soul. It is bubbling up and ready to come out. Habakkuk can't do anything else but to preach the mighty words of God. You know, there is one other guess you might make of Habakkuk. Some do. Some guess that he would be a very rare thing if that was true, but he might be a Levite. And the reason for that is because the Levites were the musicians. They were the assistant priests in the temple. And when you read Habakkuk chapter 3, if you didn't know where you were, you would think you're right in the middle of the Psalms somewhere. Habakkuk chapter 3 is a mighty song like you would read from David, like you would read from Asaph. And so some guess perhaps 
Perhaps he may have been a Levite. Who knows? But all we know is what really matters. It doesn't matter what his name is. It doesn't matter what school he attended. It doesn't matter the background of the preacher. Every one of these prophets were united with one thought. He must increase and I must decrease. And folks, if we will ever see God do a work that he wants to do in churches like Berean Baptist Church, it will be because we get our eyes off humans and we turn our eyes upon our wonderful Savior. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. The man is burdened. The man is weighed down. He cannot but help but speak the message God has given him. And yet all of that warm-up and all of that introduction, all it does is bring us to one of the most unsettling and one of the most unusual portions of the Bible. Remember, the prophets are preaching. They're not only writing the preaching, they're declaring it as well. And quite honestly, if you were to go to a Bible school or a seminary, they have a class on preaching. It's called homiletics. That is where somebody who doesn't know how to preach teaches everybody else how to do it. It's kind of how it usually works out. And I say that because if the guy knew how to preach, he'd be out preaching, wouldn't he? So there's a lot of theory now, and there's a lot of books to read, and there's a lot of this is how you do it. And you know, when you go to a homiletics class in a Bible school someplace, well, well they always got this thing laid out. You know, you got to come up with this outline, and, and then you have to come, and you, you got to stand up there and soften up the crowd. You got to give them a story. You got to give them a poem. Why, you got to ease your way into the message. There is no easing into anything in the book of Habakkuk. Because after one verse of introduction, in verse number two, what we have is a preacher screaming at heaven. I mean, Habakkuk's looking up to heaven and he pretty much is hollering at God. There is coming boldly before the throne of grace and then there is the book of Habakkuk. This is coming boldly on steroids. And in verse number two, the preacher looks up to heaven and says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not see. Save. There really, I don't think, is another thing quite like this in the Bible. The preacher, can you see him standing in the streets of Jerusalem saying, Lord, don't you see the mess that my city has become? Lord, how long am I going to stand here and cry out to heaven? How long am I going to lift up my voice and you don't respond? God, here I am begging you to do something about the mess that is called Jerusalem. And it's not that you can't do anything about it. You won't do anything about it. Do you see the words... How long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not say? He said, Lord, I know you could fix this city by lunchtime tomorrow. I know you could snap your fingers and you can do a mighty work. And yet as Jerusalem gets further and further away from God, and as our city spirals into wickedness and sin, Lord, you are more than able to fix the mess, but it's that heaven is silent. You can, but you won't. And the preacher says, enough is enough. God, how much longer do I have to cry? How much longer do I have to lift up my voice? How much longer do I have to beg you to get involved? Lord, how long shall I cry? And it's not that you can't, but you won't listen to me. In verse number two, as we have in our English language, different kinds of crying, 
Well, there are different kinds of crying in verse number two. He said, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? That first cry in verse number two is a cry of help. He is saying, Lord, we need to be delivered. Lord, we need to be rescued. It's the cry that a sinner would make when he's pleading for salvation. So Lord, here I am begging for you to deliver our city and you won't do it. The second cry in verse number two is different. It is the cry of pain or affliction. And now he said, I just can't take this anymore. I am looking at my city. I'm looking at the streets of my city. I am looking at the mess that is called Jerusalem. And Lord, it is crushing my heart and it is breaking me and I can't stand this anymore. And so the preacher has come to the end. He's got his arms stretched out to heaven and said, Lord, when are you going to do something? How long do we pray? How long do we cry? How long do we lift up our voice? God, how long is it going to be before you finally do something about the mess that is called Jerusalem? You know, Habakkuk, he wastes no words now. He's going to lay it right out before heaven. The Bible says in verse number three, why dost thou show me iniquity? Lord, everywhere I look, the lawless and the wicked are out of control. Every day is worse than the day before. Lord, I look at the news in Jerusalem and the wicked people are winning. The ungodly people seem to prosper on every side. So why do I have to see this? Why do we have to behold iniquity? Why do I have to watch the city that once stood for right and the city that once honored the name of God? Why its reputation is tarnished and dragged through the mud because the wicked people are winning. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? I can't take it. Lord, every time I look at my city, my heart is breaking. Every time I look at Jerusalem, I am grieved. Lord, I can't sleep at night. All I can do is think about this 24 hours a day. Everywhere I go, there is no escape. I have got a burden that is weighing me down. I can't get away from it, Lord. I am watching my city fall apart. I am watching my nation go straight into the pit. And Lord, I am begging you to do something about it and heaven is silent and deaf. So how much longer do I cry until you do something? How much longer do I scream towards heaven before God finally intervenes? If it weren't enough that wickedness is on every side in the middle of verse number three, he said, spoiling and violence are before me. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and you think, did the Lord insert this last night when I was sleeping? You know, spoiling and violence. He said, I am watching violent people burn the city of Jerusalem down. I am watching violent people do their egregious and their wicked acts. And after the violent people burn the city down, he said, here come the spoilers and the thieves. And they are right behind them. They break into shops. They break into stores. And they steal that which is not theirs. Lord, it's right in front of us in plain view. You can watch violent people burn the city. Then you can watch the spoilers come and steal that which is not theirs. And I got to tell you, call it Jerusalem or call it Portland, Oregon. Call it Jerusalem, call it Minneapolis. But what's the difference? Call it Jerusalem or call it, you know where, what's the difference? And he says, I can't take this anymore. I am looking at sin out of control. I am looking at violent people burning my city down. I am looking at spoilers coming and stealing. And to top it off in verse number three, there are that raise up strife and contention. Those are terms out of the courtroom. 
So we said when these wicked people are dragged into the courtrooms, instead of true justice, there's strife and contention, frivolous lawsuits. Why lawyers come along and they take cases that are cut and dry and they turn them into something else. And wicked judges are more interested in protecting criminals than they are in protecting righteous people. And Lord, everything is upside down. The wicked are winning on every side. The violent people are burning the city down. The spoilers are robbing and stealing. And why it just seems like law enforcement is on the run. It just seems like wicked justices win the day. It just seems like ungodly men stand there in the courtroom and are more interested in some frivolous point of law than they are in protecting the people that ought to be protected. And the preacher saying, I just can't take this anymore. Oh Lord, how long do I cry and you don't hear? How long am I going to cry out about the violence? And it's not that you can't save. It is not that you can't hear. It is not that you can't rescue us. You are still able. You are still on the throne. You are more than able to deliver us and set us free. Lord, you could fix it by this time tomorrow. And yet it is an unmistakable and an incredibly unsettling thing. God won't. God could, but God won't. And the preacher can't take it anymore. How long? How long? How long? When you look at verse number two in your Bible, and you listen to God's man Habakkuk look to heaven and stretch out his hands and say, how long? In truth, Habakkuk is joining quite an impressive list of men in the Bible. This man is not the first one who ever lifted up his hands towards heaven and wanted to know how long until God fixes things. Sixteen times in the book of Psalms, you'll find a righteous man stretch out his arms towards God and ask the question, how long? In the Bible, David asked that question. Job asked the question. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Zechariah, and Daniel. For every one of those men, there was a time when perhaps they were facing a crisis. Perhaps some like David or Job were facing medical issues. I Perhaps others like this man Habakkuk were watching sin win. They were watching Satan get the victory. They were watching the wheels come off. Every one of these men beat a national crisis, a personal crisis, a medical crisis. Every single one of them came to the place where they said, I just can't take it any longer. And they look up to heaven and they say, how long, how long? Unless we think that we're above them. The Bible tells us there is coming a day in the book of Revelation 6 when the martyrs of the tribulation are going to lift up their voices towards the Lord and they're going to say on that day, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So long ago in the Old Testament, it was the cry of righteous men from the times of Job. How long, how long in our future, the Bible says those who suffer greatly, those who are persecuted and martyred for the name of Christ are going to lift up their hands to the Savior in the throne and they're going to say how long, how long it is the cry of God's men down to the ages of time it is the cry of the suffering saint through the ages it is the cry of those that are watching and is like a slow motion train wreck and there's nothing they can do about it it is the cry of a people who love their land and love their God and they're watching it all fall apart how long, how long? Lord, you can, but you won't. So how long until you hear? Maybe it's summed up best in Psalm 92.3. Oh, Lord, how long shall the wicked, 
It's repeated for emphasis. How long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And so the voice of godly people through the ages of time, it has made their way towards heaven as for all the suffering and all the pain, for all the results of sin, for wickedness taking its course. Throughout the Bible, there are people who have joined Habakkuk and cried out to heaven, how long, how long until God? fixes this mess. But there is a problem with we as humans asking the Lord how long. And certainly tonight we, though we have never suffered like Job, we can imagine the crisis and we can imagine the pain and we certainly can understand why he looks up to heaven and says how long. And perhaps we can commiserate a little more with a guy like Habakkuk because while Habakkuk is looking at Jerusalem, he may as well have been reading the USA Today and Habakkuk says, how long is this going to be? How long is the violence? How long do the wicked win? And while you and I can look at one by one those who are persecuted for Christ, those who are suffering medically, those who are paying a tremendous price and, and they seemingly can't go on, and they say, how long, how long, we can humanly understand with them there is a problem in the Bible. And the problem is that while we as humans, through the word of God now, have lifted up our, our voices and our arms and said, how long, how long, how long till you do something about this? Throughout the pages of the same Bible, the word of God tells us that God has his hand stretched out towards you and me. And you know what he's asking? How long? It would seem that we're at a standstill tonight because we look up to heaven and say, how long till you do something about this mess? And yet what we don't like to recognize is throughout the Bible, God is looking at not the unsaved world. The time has come that judgment is not going to begin in the bar. It's not going to begin in the abortion clinic. It's not going to begin in a den of iniquity like Washington, D.C. The time has come that judgment begins in the New Testament church, the house of God. And so to you and me tonight, while we got our arms stretched out towards him saying, how long? The Lord's got his arms out toward us saying, well, how long? And I wonder, as we are at a standstill tonight, that if we would take care of his how long, he might get around to taking care of our how long. So here's the laundry list. In Exodus 16, 28, the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments? Numbers 14, verse 11, the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? Then there is Joshua 18 in verse number 3. Joshua said to a faithless people, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? How about 1 Kings 18 and 21 where Elijah stands on the top of Mount Carmel and he preaches the question, How long halt ye between two opinions? Psalm 4 verse number 2, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Matthew 7. 17, 17, Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I suffer you? How long shall I be with you? So while we have our arms stretched out towards seven, how long? How long does this thing in Washington, D.C. go on? How long do the cities burn? How long do the liars win? How long is it going to be until this pandemic is done? How long do we have to wear these masks? How long? How long? How long? And the Lord looks down at you and me and he says the same thing. Well, how long? 
No, he would like to know how long it's going to be until we finally get serious about serving him. There really is quite the list, isn't there? Because while we're looking up saying, how long, how long, the Lord wants to know how long is it going to be until we finally start to listen to his word. No, no, when is this going to be? That instead of being a prop on Sunday that we stick under our arm so we can walk through the glass doors looking like Johnny and Julie Christian, the Lord would like to know when we're going to take the Bible off the shelf we're going to blow the dust off the Bible and we're going to start to read this book every day, study this book, hide it in our heart, build our business on it, build our family on it, build our marriage on it. The Lord would just like to know how long it's going to take before you and I get serious about the Word of God. He would like to know how long is it going to be until we stop provoking Him. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? You mean we're making God angry? You mean us awesome Christians are making God angry? You mean us special people are, are upsetting the Lord? <laughs> yeah, he would just like to know, how long is this going to be? How, how long until we stop coming to church and singing, blessed be the name of the Lord, and then we go home on Sunday night and put on Netflix or some movie channel or some TV show where the name of God is blasphemed and profaned and cursed? He would like to know when it stops. He would like to know when the hypocrisy is over. He would like to know when blessed be the name of the Lord is how we do it on Monday and not just Sunday. The Lord would like to know. How long is it going to be till we stop provoking him? How long till we stop challenging him? How long till we stop coming to church singing to God be the glory and then on Monday we're using his name in vain? The Lord would like to know when we're finally going to live like we're supposed to live and we're going to stop tempting him and provoking him by our phoniness and our hypocrisy hypocrisy in our lives. The Lord would just like to know when that's going to happen because when we get around to his how long, that may be when he's got time for our how longs. No, no the Lord would like to know how long is it going to be that we stop, in Elijah's word, halting between two opinions. What a phrase. You know, that would kind of be an Old Testament way of saying, how long are you going to dance with two partners? That'd be a problem for us Baptists, but you understand that's kind of the point. How long are you going to take one foot and put it on this side of the fence and have it on the Lord's side and then pick up that other foot and stick it on the other side of the fence and be on Satan's side? Now, how long is it going to be until we finally figure out what team we're on? The Lord would like to know. You know, there's a lot of people tonight kind of like that old boy in the Civil War. He had family and friend on the north and family and friend on the south. And like a lot of people that went to houses of religion this morning, well, they didn't go to house. Okay, they watched their house of religion on TV this morning. Like a lot of people, all he wanted was for everybody to like him. I've concluded the guy must be from Maryland, you know. I mean, if you ever go to Pennsylvania, you know what side they were on. And if you ever go to Virginia, every day they remind you what side they're on. So it's those poor Maryland people. I don't think they know. And the guy said, I want the North to like me and I want the South to like me. So we went out and he got him a gray coat. He said, when the Northern people see or the Southern people see my gray coat, they're going to like me. And he got him a blue pair of slacks. He said, when the Northerners see my blue slacks, they're going to like me. So he got his gray coat and he got his blue slacks. And you know what happened. The poor guy got shot in both ends. I mean, the north shot him right in the heart and the south shot him right in the bottom. And that's the way it works when you can't pick a team. And the Lord would like to know when we're going to get around to this. He would like to know when we're going to put the jersey on, when we're going to join the team. Maybe somebody tonight, the Lord would like to know when you're just finally going to get baptized and become part of a New Testament assembly. He would just like to know when you're going to join the team. Oh, you know, oh, don't worry, Brother Reno, I'm going to get around to it. Well, okay, good. Then when we're saying, Lord, what about the mess in Seattle? What about the mess in Portland? What about the mess in Washington? 
Washington, then, you know, the Lord might just say, well, I'll get around to it. Nothing to worry about here. Well, the Lord would like to know when we're finally, the Lord would like to know when we're going to believe him. No, he would just like to know when we're finally going to believe him. Because there's a lot of Christians tonight, they can trust Jesus with their eternal soul, but they can't trust him with their life tomorrow. And the Lord would like to know how that works. The Lord would like to know how we can say, oh yeah, I'm trusting him for eternity. I'm just not trusting him for this week. The Lord would like for you and for me to explain how this works. Because when we finally get around to his how longs, that just may be when he gets around to our how longs. And until that time comes, we're just going to be at a standstill and nobody's going anywhere. Except the thing is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. How long? And here's the preacher stretching out his hand saying, how long? And here's the Lord stretching out his hand saying, how long? And until you and I get serious about his how longs, well, the reason Jerusalem was in the trouble they were in was because they weren't concerned with God's how longs. Years ago in the state of Tennessee, a rather older gentleman now, coming near the end of his life, was looking back over a life. It was a cold, cold night, and he said he was sitting by the fireplace, and, and he just looked back, and he said, yeah, I remember when I was young. I was a teenager boy. He said, I, I remember how I just prayed. It was so naturally, and, and I just didn't stop. I'd stop. I'd pray. I'd just talk to the Lord, and he said, the older I got, the busier I got, and he was rather famous in, in singing for Jesus, but he said, you know, the older I got, the Oh, the more I apparently did on the outside for Jesus, but he said, the less I prayed. I knew it and God knew it. And as he was sitting by the fireplace that night, he said his heart was breaking. His heart was convicting him. And he took a notepad and a pen. And he's the one who wrote it like this. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? So how long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? So how long has it been tonight since our mind felt at ease and how long since our hearts knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? And we all watch the world and our country and our state spiral out of control. Every day is worse than the day before. The wicked are winning. The politicians and the courtrooms and the justices are anything but just. Right has become wrong and wrong has become right. And we want to join Habakkuk and say, oh, how many more prayer meetings do we have? And how many more revival meetings do we preach? And how long is it going to be until God does something about the mess that we're in? And heaven turns it right back on us and the Lord would like to know how long. How long has it been since we were serious about our Bible? So how long has it been where not just thank you, Jesus, for the food, but we really had a prayer life? How long has it been since your pastor preached the Bible and the convicting power of the Spirit of God was so great you couldn't leave this service till you got down on your knees and repented and returned to the Lord? How long has it been? How long since we dealt with his? How long? I wonder if there could be somebody here tonight. The Lord's shaking his head saying, how long is it going to be until you get saved? 
You know, you just may be the sin in Baptist churches all across America this morning. They're men that came to a service like the one we had here today. They've come week after week and hear somebody like Brother Reno preach week after week. You know, they figured it out a long time ago. All I got to do on a Sunday morning is go to church with my wife. I get a good lunch out of it. My marriage works and everything is smooth. So that's worth an hour on a Sunday morning. And so you came and you said, you know, Brother Reno, he's a good guy. And and the preaching started to get a hold of your heart. And after a while, God began to convict you. And there may be a man like that here tonight. You know you need to get saved. And yet Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, this pastor preaches. He begs you to get saved. He pleads with you to trust Christ. He comes to your house, your place of business, begs you to get saved. And yet a man will walk out of that door Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And every time they walk out, they are stiffing the invitation of God. They are with a hard neck and a stiff neck. They're saying no to the invitation of Jesus. How many times do you think you're going to walk out of this place saying no to him. How long until you say no for the last time? How about that boy or girl who grows up in the nursery class, then the primary class, then the junior class, then the youth ministry right here, right here? You know, it is a, if you add it up, it is possible for a boy or girl who grows up in a church like yours where there's Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meeting night, revival meetings, missions conferences, Bible conferences, where there are camps, and I mean camps in the summer, camps in the winter. Some of them will even go to a Christian school where they have chapel services. It is not an impossibility for a boy or a girl to grow up in a church like yours and hear upwards to 5,000 invitations to be saved. Can you imagine getting one invitation to go to heaven and you're audacious enough and wicked enough to say no to Jesus? I can't imagine what eternity would be like for somebody who walked out of a preaching service who said no to God's invitation 5,000 times. And yet there could well be some boy or some girl, a teenager, maybe a college student. You've grown up here in a church like Berean Baptist Church and you have heard more invitations than you can count. And now it's gotten awfully easy to walk out that door and the voice on the inside is softer and dimmer. And you walk out that door again and again and again. And every time you walk out without Jesus, you almost can hear heaven as it stretches out his arms. How long? How long do you think you're going to have these invitations? How long do you think it's going to be until you walk out the door and you say no to God for the final time. If you think you can tell God when you're going to get saved, you got another thing coming. It doesn't work like that. If you think you can tell God how tomorrow's going to play out by the mercies and the grace of God because he loves you so much, he's brought you to a place tonight where there's a pastor and a church that care enough to have a place where you can believe on Christ and hear the gospel. But if somebody is so stubborn and so selfish and they walk out saying, I say no to the invitation of God, you better know that you're going to be reproved so many times before you're going to be cut off without remedy. There comes a day when you walk out for the last time and you get your final invitation. How long is God's Spirit going to strive with you? How long is the Spirit of God going to deal in your heart? How long that God stretches out His hands and says, come and be saved? How long until somebody in this building tonight walks out the door for the last time to face the wrath of God and the fires of hell? Not because they never heard the gospel, but because they heard it again and again and again. And every time they said no, how long is it going to be until you finally humble yourself and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? So how long? Habakkuk lifts up his voice and says, Lord, I can't take it anymore. 
I'm looking at my city. I'm looking at my country of Judah. I just can't take this. How long? He screams at heaven. How long? How long do I keep crying out and you keep ignoring me? And now we hear the Savior through the pages of the Bible look at you and me tonight. And you all want to know how long? Well, he would like to know how long too. And it may be that our how long doesn't get taken care of until we finally get serious about dealing with his how long. The prophet said, how long? And God says, how long? Father, we ask for your help now as we give your invitation. And, and for someone in this place who's never been saved, a man, a lady, or it could be a teenager, even a boy or girl, they've had opportunity after opportunity. Please impress upon them that now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Now, Lord, I pray that the word of God would crush the pride of your people. Lord, I pray that tonight we would not leave this place until we have responded to the how longs of heaven. May tonight be the night we deal with our sins and our God. I wonder before I finish praying if somebody in this room tonight would say, Preacher, I need you to pray for me. I'm the one who walks out again and again, and I'm the one who's not saved. I'm the one who leaves without Jesus, and I need to get it settled, and I need to be saved tonight. How long till I get saved? That's going to get taken care of tonight. Is there someone in this room that would say, Preacher, I need you to pray for me. I'm the one who needs to be saved. I need Pastor Reno to help me from the Bible tonight. Would you lift your hand and... We'll pray for you, and we'd like to help you from God's word because the answer is not get religion. The answer is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Is there somebody tonight? That's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. My Father, we give your invitation, and may the word of God break the heart of your children like it did with Habakkuk. If someone in this room is not saved, may they run down this aisle into the arms of Jesus May we have the joy to open the Bible and show them how to be saved. Now for your people, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night we return, we repent, we come back to our God. Lord, do a work a preacher can't do in the great name of Jesus.